Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, welcome to The Balance Podcast. Uh, although technically this is a, a spin-off of The Balance Podcast. This is the Amazing Lives Podcast. Uh, last Monday was International Women's Day. And so this is very much a, an International Women's Day Special Balance and Fora Fora, the flexible workplace platform reimagining the working day. Balance and Fora have teamed up. They've partnered to bring you this amazing lives podcast. This was a live streamed recording hosted by BBC Radio London's Jamoke Fashola with special guest Antoinette Tuff, created and produced by Tim Arthur. So Antoinette became an accidental hostage negotiator when a gunman entered an elementary school in Georgia, USA. She says, the first words I heard were, today everybody dies. That's when, that's when I looked up and saw him standing there with an AK-47 in his hand. On the 19th of August, 2013, Antoinette Tuff from Decatur, Georgia, was a severely depressed school bookkeeper, devastated by the breakup of her 33-year-long marriage. As a single mother, she was now faced with a daunting challenge raising a son with multiple disabilities and a daughter in law school while facing bankruptcy. The next day, her life changed forever. She managed to prevent a mass shooting. Antoinette now gives talks all over the world, teaching people the three C's of how to negotiate your way through a crisis. Stay calm, confident and compassionate. She recently launched her Living on Purpose program, which teaches women how to be bold, brave and fearless and keep themselves safe in any situation. So without further ado, here is the Amazing Lives podcast. I'm Jamoke Fashala, and I am delighted to welcome you to the launch of a new audio partnership between Balance and Fora. It's called the Amazing Lives Podcast. It's delightful to be doing this launch on such a significant day, International Women's Day 2021. So hurrah for all the women. Now, Fora have 11 locations across London and are a flexible workspace platform, which reimagines the working day. They've created tailored workspace 
spaces for forward thinkers through conscious design, a curated program of events, and a 360-degree wellness offering built around productivity, well-being, and true satisfaction for those who understand that a workplace is not a commodity. Balance is the online home for the curious, conscious and connected Londoners, offering compelling insights, practical everyday tools, positive news, witty opinion pieces brought to you by leading journalists, experts and thought leaders. I'm struck this evening by the synergy of this partnership between Fora and Balance, particularly given the conversation we are about to have, which brings together workspaces, mental health, wellness and spirituality. Uh, Just a housekeeping note for you if you're joining us this evening. I'm so delighted that you are with us. After the conversation, you'll have a chance to ask a question too. So we've got about 45-50 minutes of chat between myself and our guests, and then we'll be open to questions. Feel free to put your questions in the Q&A as soon as you think of them, and we'll get through as many of them as we possibly can. So to the Amazing Lives podcast, which is where we interview people from around the world who have incredible and inspiring life stories to share, stories of challenge and change, of mental fortitude and resilience, and of compassion and kindness. Today, we kick off with a true story of courage. I'm delighted to welcome Antoinette Tuff, who became an accidental hostage negotiator when a gunman, Michael Hill, entered the Ronald E. McNair Discovery Learning Academy Elementary School in Georgia, America, in 2013. Her calm demeanour and quick thinking saved over a thousand people, including children, teachers and staff. Let's hear a clip from the 911 call she made that day. I can help you. Want me to try? Want me to? You want to talk to them? Want me to talk to them and try to? Okay, well, let me talk to them and let, let's see if we can work it out so that you don't have to go away with them for a long time. No, it does matter. I can let them know that you have not tried to harm me or do anything with me or anything if you want to. But that doesn't make any difference. You didn't hit anybody. So, okay, let me ask you this, ma'am. He didn't hit anybody. He just shot outside the door. If I walk out there with him, if I walk out there with him they, so they won't shoot him or anything like that, he wants to give himself up, is that okay? And they won't shoot him? Yes, And he ma'am. said he just want to go to the hospital? Okay. She said, hold on one moment. Okay, okay, she said, hold on, and we gonna, she's going to talk to the police officer, and I'll go out there with you. Well, don't feel bad, baby. My husband just left me after 33 years. Yes, you do. I mean, I'm sitting here with you and talking to, talking to you about it. I got a son that's multiple disabled. Let me, let, can I speak to her? Let me, talk, let me talk to her. Let her know that I'm going to go with you. Uh, chilling stuff. And of course, you can hear that entire 911 call through the internet. But I'm so delighted to welcome Antoinette Tuff. Antoinette, thanks so much for joining us all the way. What time did you say it was there? It is 1 p.m. here. Okay, well, listen, it's it's good time, whatever time it is, wherever we are in the world. Now, people often talk about purpose, and it's the core, one of the core questions that I think we all have about our lives. Who are we? What will we leave behind? Um, it sounds like that day illuminated your purpose. But before we get to the core of that, give us an idea of what was happening in your life before that day in 2013. Well, what was happening in my life before that day is my husband, after 33 years, the man that I had been with since I was 13 years old, the man that I thought that I would die with, be buried beside was now telling me that he was having an affair and that the marriage was over. And so for me, it took me in a whirlspin. 
tried to commit suicide multiple times, tried to just end my life because I didn't know how to live without this man. And, you know, most of us as women, you can agree, as we are having our children and we're having, getting married and all of that, you know, you you take your lives and you 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 revolve it around that you're going to get married one day. You're going to have a, you know, get children one day. And you're going to have this white picket fence in this house. And so in my, in my age, in my era, it was like when you had that in a car sitting outside, you made it, right? And so for me, I, I patterned my life after that. I patterned my life after being that Proverbs 31 woman that my husband and my children will be well pleased with, right? And so when you now come with everything crashing down, it becomes how do you survive? And I didn't know how to survive. And so I tried to commit suicide several times. Uh, on August the 18th, I was overwhelmed one more time, not knowing what to do and all that. It wasn't my first time trying to commit suicide, but I can thank God today that it was my last. Hmm. I walked out in front of a car here in Atlanta, Georgia, in one of the busiest streets. So if anybody is in the Atlanta area or have ever visited the Atlanta area, you know that Wesley Chapel Road is one of the busiest streets in Decatur, right? So I walked out in front of the car and the car wouldn't hit me. And most people know that if you, if you walk out in front of an 18-wheeler, they, they have to have a football field long to be able to stop, right? So I'm mm-hmm. thinking, okay, if I, if I walk out in front of this truck, most definitely he's going to hit me, right? That's what I thought in my mind. It didn't happen. I'm like, okay, Lord, I can't even kill myself today. That's what I thought to myself. Just Which we're not grateful for. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because, I mean, I can laugh today. I couldn't laugh then. Mm. But what happens is, and why I can laugh today is because we all have a purpose in life, right? And sometimes you don't always know what your purpose is in the moment that you're going through tragedy, overwhelmed, you know, you're scared, you're trying to figure it all out. And and so how do you go through the unknown and trying to, you know, navigate through it? I didn't know how to navigate not having my husband at home. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to go back and be able to say, you know, Antoinette, what you have and what you need is on the inside of you. I didn't know that. I didn't even know who I was. I had to go back. Um, and one of the exercises that I did, and I would um, ask your audience to try it. If you if you feel like you're in a state where you're overwhelmed, you're frustrated, you're not for sure what to do. I had to go back and introduce myself to myself. I had to go back and say, Antoinette, meet Antoinette. Wow. Antoinette, love Antoinette. Mm. And that's well, what actually helped me. Well, we're going to get to the the, the, the amazing things that you are, are doing now, but just set the scene for us because you mentioned there um, the, the the suicide attempts. I, I think one was just two days before this particular event. Uh, also that morning, as you say, uh, you have a, a disabled son who sounds amazing, I have to say, but you have a disabled son, you have a daughter, you have an ex-husband of 33 years, you were running three jobs at the time. You, that morning you got a sort of bankruptcy notice which said they wanted $14,000 within seven days. So you're under a lot of pressure. Then your principal or whoever the head was at the time says, can you go to the front desk to replace a, a, a receptionist? What happened then? Well, let me let me back it up for you a little bit, because I was I was overwhelmed that morning. I sat in my car, first of all, for the longest time to even get in the building, crying. No one in the school knew that I was suicidal. No one in the school knew what was going on. Me and my ex-husband had just had actual date the weekend before that. So, you know, they always seen them come up, bring flowers, do different things for me. So no one knew the state that I was in at the moment. So when I got there, the principal was like, well, can you fill in for the secretary? And I'm like, wait a minute, that ain't my job. <laughs> That's what I thought to myself. 
It was the busiest day. I'm trying to get my own stuff ready. But how many of you know when you work for somebody, you got to go do what they tell you to do, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sitting there trying to, you know, trying to get my attitude right, first of all, because I'm crying and I'm like, oh my God, Lord, just one more thing on this salsa, Lord. I'm like, I can't even get no gravy on it because it's overflowing, right? And so I'm just sitting there just overwhelmed. And so I'm sitting at my desk trying to get ready to go relieve the secretary. And I get this phone call from the bank wanting $14,000. Now, mind you, I just got the car out of the shop. I was bumming a ride for my girlfriend because when my ex-husband left, he left me with all this dead car in the shop, no food in the refrigerator. So I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to put food on the table for me and my son, you know, how I'm going to get to work and all of that. So it was just like overwhelming and crazy. If you ever say crazy, it was the cray cray. (laughs) It was crazy. (laughs) So I'm just sitting there like, okay. I get this phone call and I'm like, oh, wait, wait a minute. They must have no, he done took all the money. I don't have anything to give them $14,000 in seven days. And so I close my door and I'm just crying. Well, this makes me late for the actual secretary. So by this time, she's calling me like, are you going to come relieve me? And I'm like, okay, you know, you try to get the mask on your face. You try to get it all together because nobody knows, right? And so then I go open up the door and y'all let me tell you, now it's a teacher. She want me to help her with her insurance. <laughs> she's like... Did anybody get the memo? I'm overwhelmed. (laughs) So I say to her, okay, come on, let's go to the front. I got to relieve the secretary for lunch. And so me and her goes and we go relieve the secretary. And so the secretary goes out of one door and the secretary had a parent in the room and she goes out the other door. And so me and the the, teacher sitting there doing her paperwork, where the parent you all, she winds up allowing the gunman to come in the school. Now, normally they would buzz into the building. She held the door open kindly and let the gunman in. Now, I will say to you, I was guilty of it too before I got held hostage. (laughs) I will tell you now today, don't be nice, let everybody buzz in (laughs) in the door. But she let the gunman in the door. And so while I'm sitting there, me and the teacher doing paperwork, we know we didn't see the gunman. We just doing paperwork. And he comes in with an AK-47 and about 500 rounds of ammo. And he says that we are all going to die today wow and and, i mean that i mean even as you you set the the picture so beautifully for us when he says that at that moment do you think you're just playing around or do you think i really am going to die today well if i'm gonna be honest with you i thought he was playing Mm -hmm. (laughs) because i had never seen a gun before um he had a book bag so i didn't really know what was in the book bag i just seen this gun and i'm like so me and the teacher looked at each other like is he for real no, he playing. <laughs> he ain't for real. Because he was only 20 years old. And so you you seeing this kid right here, you're like, okay, you can get a whooping. Mama get ready to whoop you. Cause you got to be playing. <laughs> so I'm just like, this not for real. So she look at me, I'm looking at her like, okay, this got to be a joke. He's going to come out in a minute and say, oh, I'm kidding. But he didn't. He goes and says that to us. And so by this time, me and the teacher now realize, okay, this is not a joke. But on the other side of the room, it was a work teachers to work room, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't know that teachers and students were in that work room. So the work room was full of teachers and students. He didn't know that. Right. On the other hand, the time that he came into the school was the busiest time of the day. It was just, it was early dismissal. And so he didn't know that kids and all of that would normally be in the room, right? In the office going home. But God set it up so beautifully, y'all. That not one parent, not one student was in the office when the gunman came. The parent had just left and who allowed him to come in. Mm. 
And so he goes and tells the teacher to tell everybody that I'm in the building. So she walks through the teacher's lounge to let everybody know because she knows teachers and students are in there. And so he hears all this commotion, right? And this is the first time he's about to now start shooting in the school. He goes over and opens up the door and he's now about to take the gun and he aims it at the kids and the teachers so he can be able to start shooting. Y'all, let me tell y'all something. Y'all talking about some mommy instinct. My mommy instinct kicked in. I mm. was like, oh, come on back in here. They are only doing what you told them to do. And so he looks at me and he gets angry because I'm now stopping him from shooting at the kids and the educators that are in the room. You know, they're standing out in the hallway trying to run for their lives. And so he gets angry. So he goes over to the front door and he takes a chair and props open the front door. And he now started emptying his gun, the AK-47, in the community. He's just spraying bullets everywhere. Now, some people will be like, oh, okay, people are at work. But in the community that I lived in, no. There was grandparents. There were parents at home. And so it was still just as dangerous for him to shoot in the community just as it was in the actual school itself. At what point then do you then say to yourself, right, we, we're in trouble here. You've identified there's trouble. He's shooting, et cetera. How do you get to the 911 call? I mean, do you, do, do you have to ask his permission? Because and is there no fear about picking up the phone and going, hello, we really need help here? Well, to be honest with you, before you hear the 911 call, me and him was in there for a while together. He had wind up um, telling the teacher to go do that. He was talking, going back and to and fro, shooting out in the community where I was. He had shot in the room where I was by this time. So I'm seeing the bullet just ricocheted all in the in the room. I'm saying to myself, God, please don't let this bullet hit me or him. Uh, by this time, he's now telling me, you know, to call the news and to call everybody to let them know that he's in the building. And so I'm like, OK, but I'm going to be honest with you. That whole time when I realized that thing wasn't no joke, I was praying. <laughs> Hmm. Hmm. That was one time I said, baby, don't nobody disturb this line. Whatever you need God for, I'm going to need you to hold up a minute because you know how you got that do not disturb on your on your phone and everywhere. I want, I hit the do not disturb button. We ain't got no call forwarding, call waiting, nothing. I'm going to need none of y'all to have no emergency right now because I got an AK-47 in my face. <laughs> so... I'm sitting there saying, God, you know, God, do you see what I see? At that moment, every word that proceeded out of my mouth was life or death, not mm-hmm. just for me, not just for the educators and the students and the parents, but for the gunmen too. Because at the end of the day, he was only 20 years old. He was going to be somebody's dad one day, somebody's husband one day, and he was already somebody's son and somebody's nephew and niece and, and all of that. So I wanted to make sure that not only did all of us go home, but that he went home also. So you just sit there and say, Lord, please, I need y'all not to call. <laughs> I, I got a show up emergency. <laughs> and, and so did he allow you to, to call 911 or did you have to prompt him? He allowed me. He the one told me, he said, call 911 to let them know. Because remember, now, let me tell you what he wanted. See, he wanted the news and everybody to be there right. so that he could be able to be on TV. And that was because eight months earlier, we had seen all the tragic deaths of all of those innocent educators and students that were killed at the Sandy Hook School shooting. And so he was mimicking that. He wound up posting an actual photo 
on the website to show everybody what he was going to do along with the gun prior to him coming to the school. But even in doing that, let me tell you how God set him up. He passed several schools to get to my school. He could have stopped at any one of those schools. If I hadn't have been late and hadn't have got that phone call that would have overwhelmed me with them calling me, asking me for $14,000, I would have relieved the secretary early and she would have been there to greet the gunman. Wow. So you got to look at how God sets things up for us when you're going through things in your life. So always know that everything, every process, every moment is setting you up for your purpose in life. So not only did he pass several schools, he parked his car right next to my car. And so when you look at all that, you, you're saying to yourself, OK, God, you know, what do I do? And and and, and I mean, I, I listened to the audio book of your book, uh, which is just so gripping. I have to say, it's just like the stories, you know, you sit on the edge of your seat going every moment, which you detail. And um, one of the things that strikes me is you eventually managed to pick a call 911 uh, you have a conversation with um, what are they called officially now? The the people who answer the nine one one calls, nine one one operators, operators, yeah, <laughs> operators. But you had a you had a conversation with her, uh, and 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 then you put the phone down, but you don't put it on silent so that she can hear the entire conversation that you are having with this boy. Can I ask you this? You were in at that point. You were dealing with a lot of your own stuff. You know, it's all swirling around you. I mean, let's just imagine it's a cloud. It's all swirling around you. You meet another person who has the same energy in a way swirling around him. You've said that pain met pain on that day. Just just unpack that for us. Well, first, me and, and the gunman were really pain meeting pain. The same time that he tried to kill his brother was the same time that I tried to kill my ex-husband. But God didn't allow either one of us to do it because he knew that we were going to meet each other and was going to change both of our lives. The same time that he wanted to take his own life was the same times that I wanted to take mine. That day, I was Antoinette in pain, meeting Michael in pain. That day, we were pain meeting pain. And if I hadn't have been in that pain that I was in, I wouldn't have been able to communicate with him well. I wouldn't have been able to talk him down and did all that. Because we have pain in our lives and because things are overwhelming, what it does is allows you to be able to see what's really on the inside of you. What I call those things, I call them tough tactics. And it's compassion, confidence, and control. And so that day, no matter what he was saying to me, I had to show him compassion. I had to use judgment without passing judgment on him. I had to be able to allow him to know that in spite of it all, this is a diverse, we're in a diversity. This is a diverse actual (laughs) environment, right? Mm -hmm. I had to let him know that no matter the color of his skin, no matter what he was saying, that it's okay. I also had to allow him to know that, you know, I had some compassion for him and I had to be able to have some confidence because I had to be able to sit up, stretch up wide, No matter what he was doing, I couldn't allow him to know that I was fearful and afraid and all that. I had to make sure that I created an inclusive environment for him, that he knew that his voice was going to be heard, that he knew that I heard him. And I had to allow him to know that no matter what it feels like, no matter what it looks like, no matter what's going on right here in front of me, God loves you and so do I. And I'm not going to judge you. But what I also had to do was have some control in it. Because when bullets are flying everywhere... Y'all know, I'm going to be honest with you, bullets don't have no name. 
Well, I mean, I was going to say, because you're talking like this, you're like, oh, I was, you know, a compassion, etc. All I could think of at the time as I was reading and, and, and you know, and looking into your life story is where does she get this calm? Because that calm came across on the 911 call. You you sounded like, oh, this is just a walk in the park. We've got a bit of a problem. I mean, you sounded English. We've got a bit of a problem, but it will be okay. We're going to be fine. Was there anything within you that was saying, I am in fear here? I was in terrified. I, I was more than fear. I was crying, screaming and all that. <laughs> I thought I was on the outside. But God just calmed me down because on the outside, in the inside, I was screaming, hollering, God, do you see what I see? I'm going to need you to come on, Lord, come on. Especially when he did the first bullet and I'm seeing this bullet, this, you know, ricocheting in the, in the I'm saying to say, that really a bullet? Mm. So when you, when you're seeing all this, he's telling me that he hadn't taken his medicine and he should have just, you know, kill himself. You know, when you see all the things that's going on and unfolding itself. You know, by this time, the cafeteria manager came in and he didn't see the gunman. So now he's agitating the gunman, right? And so you still got to be able to have some tough tactics in there. You got to have, okay, he, he's upset, he's angry. He's got this cafeteria manager in there who's, you know, not showing any compassion to him. He act like he act like he's confident. You know how men come and he's scrolling on them. He was strolling in and doing like that. <laughs> it's so... The gunman's in there, he getting agitated because he's like, okay, do he see me sitting over? Do he see me standing over here? And the cafeteria manager never seen him. So so by this time, the gunman tells him to get behind the counter with me. And he didn't do it. And so he gets mad. I mean, the gunman gets, I mean, he was fiery mad by this time. So now what he does is what? He finds another bullet. Wow. In there, because the cafeteria manager is not, you know, he's taking him for a joke. So now I got to come back now and control this whole situation because now we got diversity and inclusion and now we're going to put a little mixture of psychological safety up in there because <laughs> we all got to be safe. You done disturb my calmness over here. I done use a little tough tactics in here to make sure we got that compassion, confidence, and control. But now you let me put a little dips in there because this is diversity, inclusion. And now I got to put a little psychological safety in there because we got to I mean, I could talk to you for, for forever about this, but but I, I do want to get to the point where you knew that it was less about him being in control now and more about you being con- in control. Because he, at that point, although you had controlled the situation through your calmness and, and collectedness, he had the ammunition, he had the gun. At what point did you know that there is a turning point and it looked like it might be an open door towards safety? Well, to be honest with you, I never did. I never, I didn't know that he was going to surrender. I didn't know that he was listening to me because even though I asked him his name multiple times, I didn't find out his name until after the incident. He didn't allow me to know that he was listening, that he was hearing me, that he was going to do what I asked him to do. All I did was allow him to be able to know that I hear him. Mm. I'm going to show you some compassion and love that I love you unconditionally and all of that. And no matter how much you didn't take your medicine, that doesn't determine who you are, that, you know, you're still a human being. I did not actually go in and be able to say that. Okay, now you need to go do this. Okay, now I want you to put your gun in. Now I want you. I didn't do that. I went in to just allow him to talk, allow him to tell me what he wanted me to do. I went back and relayed the messages to the 911. 
And then what I did is when he told me to hang up the phone from the 911, I didn't hang up the phone. He thought I did, but I put her on speakerphone so she could have eyes and ears on the inside. Mm-hmm. That was nobody but God. Because to be honest with you, I don't know how I survived. I don't know. I, I can't even, t- I had to go back now to be honest with you and listen to the 911 call to be able to hear what I did and how I did it. I didn't I didn't know that it was tough tactics that I was using, compassion, confidence, and control until I was out of it. And it's interesting because you have throughout this conversation talked about faith, about how strong your faith is, how important it is to you. There will be people listening to this conversation who are like, uh, yeah, maybe they have a faith or maybe they don't have a faith or maybe they come from a different tradition. And Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So that... That that may not necessarily resonate with them because they don't have that journey. So I'm curious about how you explain that to people who would say, well, maybe it was just down to you, Antoinette. Maybe it was just down to your skills, the skills that you've built all along the way. Maybe it had nothing to do with God. Well, I would tell anybody that, you know, everybody's higher power may be something different. You got to go back and look at what that looks like for you. You got to unpack it. And I just tell anybody, I think it comes with our life experiences that we realize who our high power is. You know, it could be whatever you feel like that need, that means for you. But you can't go. I can't go back and tell somebody that, oh, you got to believe in my God. Oh, you got to do this. Right. I remember when all this first happened to me and I got this email from this young man and he said to me that I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't want to have nothing to do with God. And I'm like, OK. Then he said, I'm going because of you and your walk and what I have seen in your life. And I'm going to donate to your nonprofit. He was my, one of my first donors when my nonprofit for kids, which is kids on the move for success. When we first started um, coming out and making sure that we can make sure that no other child would feel like they need to be a gunman to get attention. But I would tell anybody when you're looking at it, don't base, you know, who your higher power is off of anybody else, including me. 
I want you to base it off what is your experience? You know, what has, you know, has allowed you to be able to see? It's those moments when you come in and you be like, that wasn't me. That had to be somebody. Now, who helped me out of that? And then you go back and you come back again and you be like, okay, that's got to be God. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it happened to you so smoothly and and you know that it was a miracle because you're saying to yourself, you was overwhelmed. You didn't know how you was going to pay your rent. You know, you can, you can really imagine this now. How many of us maybe got an eviction notice during this coronavirus? You mm-hmm. lost all your income during this coronavirus. This coronavirus hit the just as well as the unjust. It hit the rich as well as the poor. It did not care what your name was. It said, I am here. I'm not at your back door. I'm knocking at your front door. And whether you open it or not, I am coming in. So this time it allowed us to see. I don't know what your higher power is, but you gonna know. <laughs> well, you know what? You're, you're, hey, listen, you put that into context for all of us because we've all mutually been suffering throughout the world over coronavirus and the challenges it brings. I, I just want to take you back to the end of this siege. You were in for an hour with uh, Michael Hill. What was that end like for you? And what was the first thing you did after once you knew that there was some sort of freedom? <laughs> We're both laughing because we know what it is. Well, what it was like for me is, you heard on the 911, I asked the um, operator about going out there with him. Yeah. they had He had wound up shooting at the police officer. Bullets were flying everywhere. So he's firing at them, they're firing at him. He's firing at them, they're firing at him. Bullets are going everywhere. And I was sitting right here next to me was like a big old window. So I could really see out the window and bullets are going everywhere, right? And so it wasn't nobody but God that did not allow any of those bullets to come and crack the window or hit the window. It hit the front window in the school, but not the window beside me. So for me, it was like, okay, we all got to survive this. So I said, okay, well, I walk out there with him, you know, can, you know, trying to talk him down. Like, you know, I walk out there with you so they won't kill you and all that. But by this time, he's like, no, you don't understand. You know, I've done this. I've shot out there and all that. So by this time, he goes over that you don't hear. It's later on in Namamante. And he goes and put the gun right here. So he's about to commit suicide in front of me. So I'm, I'm like, oh, baby, let me my mother instincts. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, he's not doing that. <laughs> and, some people, and some people may well say, well, Angela, you know, you tried to commit suicide two days before that. You know, so, you know, what difference did it make if he killed you or if he killed himself? Well, baby, that was me trying to commit it. I ain't telling him to come do it. <laughs> That ain't what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for nobody to come kill me for me. I wanted to do that on my own. That wasn't part of the ingredients of the cake that I was trying to bake. He put the wrong eggs in there. And I'm like, no, that's the wrong eggs. We can't do that today. So, But for me, it was like, okay, how do you go back and make sure that, you know, everybody's in a safe environment? You know, I don't want him to pay. I don't want him to die. I don't want anybody else to die. And so I'm just talking him through it. And I'm you know, talking to the 911 operator to see if I could walk out there with him. Now, mind you, I'm going to be honest with you. You don't have to try that. That was crazy when I look back at it. Because the bullets were flying everywhere. If I had walked out there with him, then they would have killed both of us because the whole objective was was to bring him down. Mm-hmm. And so I know now us not going out there was really the best thing for the both of us because we'd have both been dead. They would have shot him, shot at him, and hoping that they didn't kill me in the process. Mm. And so by this time, I'm just talking to him and talking to him, telling him about my life, 
telling them about my um, ex-husband and about my kids, um, about my son being multiple disabled, and, you know, how my son just, you know, would read songs to me and, you know, he would pray over me and all of that. And I was just telling him about what I was going through and how my son spoke life into me. My son said to me one day when his dad um, left, you know, I was in my suicide moments trying to commit suicide in the house. And my son came downstairs and um, he said, Mom, I said, what? He said, come here. And I used to do this thing with my kids called laying your bosom. So no matter what they was having a bad day, no matter what was going on, they knew that laying in my bosom was their safe place. They could cry. And so my son said, Mama, come here. And I was like, what? You know, I just I just want your daddy to come home. So I'm just, you know, all over all over the place. Mm-hmm. And he said, come lay in my bosom. Oh. And so he so he he lays me in his bosom and he and then he says to me, Mom, you must live and not die. Wow. And so it was those words that he spoke to me. And um, if you all may not know, her name is Dolly McCoy. She sings this song that I must live and I shall not die. And so my son would sing that song to me so that I could be able to speak life back into myself. And so he would say, Mom, come on now. Come on. Mm. You know, and so I told the gunman all of those stories. So which story hit him the most? I don't know. Mm. What word did I say the most that allowed him to say, okay, I am going to just surrender. Wow. I am going to just lay my gun on this counter. I am going to just take every piece of ammo out of this book bag because I didn't know what he had in the book bag. So let me tell y'all, he had five over 500 rounds of ammo and magazines. Now, to be honest with you, I didn't know what no magazine was. I didn't know to after the, I didn't even know what a bullet looked like. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, what is that? But that day changed the rest of my life because he actually trusted me enough to be able to say, I know that I'm going to be okay. And that's something that we have to do with each and every one of our friends and family members that we come in contact create a safe environment for them to be able to say, I can just rest in your bosom. And and I, I mean, it's an extraordinary story. And, and, and thank you for reliving it for us, because, of course, you you know, this is well, this is part of the reason why we wanted to have this conversation. But it also brings me to the point about or the, the conversation about the psychological help that you would need after such an incident, but also with all the other stuff that you were, that was going on through your life, how much support did you get? And is that an ongoing thing for you to try to make sure that the ground is even for you? Well, what I do is I create foundations. My foundation starts first in the morning. I get up every morning and I get on the prayer line every morning at 545. I get on one to two prayer lines, sometimes three, depends upon what time it is before I even start my day. And I do that because I have to be grounded. For me, it's, you know, you got to put the, it's like you're building a house and a house can't stand on the shaky ground. If you don't put the important foundation first, the, the, the house and the roof and all of that and the infrastructure is going to fall if you don't have a great foundation. So for me, it's like building a house. I go in and God is my foundation. So I put him first and then I get ready for work. <laughs> wow. The other thing that I do is I put teams around me. I build relationships with people. So during this coronavirus, I've, you know, had virtual cup of coffees with people. And those some of those people have become my team members. And so I, I create great teams and relationships. People have been in my life for years. And so I have a great foundation and I put mentors behind me. Hmm. So if I don't know something, I don't try to figure it out. I go get somebody who know what it is. Like, can you help me with this? What does that look like for me? Right. 
Yeah, and then I mean, I think that's really important as well. That yeah. whole idea of being able to say, "I, I am in need," so to speak, and and that I think, as you've referenced, coronavirus has forced us to to really confront that in each other about being able to say, "Well, you know, girl, this is this, these are hard times. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to, you know, lie about it." I wonder for you now, given that experience, what you took from that in- experience in terms of then building a new life around you, the things, the initiatives that you are now, that you have created, that you have initiated? Well, what I did is I first started off with my nonprofit called Kids on the Move for Success. I wanted to go back and support youth. And so we came out with a mentoring program that we did first. And then during my mentoring program, I realized that my kids could not read. And so we um, did Knowledge is Powerful in Literacy. And we have those programs that no matter if you're in London or wherever you are, you can come over when we do our next session. It's virtual. So anybody from all over the world can be able to join us for that. Um, I also come back and I do a parent academy that we do. So we not only educate our students in that nonprofit, but we also educate our parents, too. It's important for me for parents to know their rights and what they need to do and support them in any kind of way. The other thing that I did is I did Women on the Move for Success. Because women are my heart, and this is International Women's Day, right? Mm-hmm. Women are my heartbeat. <laughs> so I wanted to do something for my women. So I have an actual one-on-one session that I do with women. And then I also have a Living on Purpose program that I do for women. And so that's a 12-week program, and that's uh, we're actually in session now. We're actually now starting again in May or May the 4th. And so anybody would love to be a part of that, you can always follow me on my social media at Antoinette Tuff. We post all of those wonderful things that you can be able to get involved with us. And then I didn't leave my men out. And so we do leaders on the move for success, but we come in and do from um, nonprofits, for profits, you know, whether you're a corporation, whether you're a school district, or whether you're just a person to say, Antoinette, I do not have diversity, inclusion, and psychological safety in my workplace. Yeah. My, my management team is, is not diverse. My, you know, my staff is not diverse. How do I come in in a safe environment to bring my management team and my staff together, my all of my employees and everyone together to be able to create an environment that they feel included, mm. an inclusive environment that they feel safe. So it's not like if I come and say something, then I got to watch my mouth because I'm going to lose my job. But in all reality, I'm struggling. Yes. Or, yes. I, you know, I, I, or I qualify for this job. But my counterpart, because they look different than me, wind up getting it and they less qualified than me. And so we have those kind of conversations. And I like to call it um, diversity, inclusion and psychological safety. It's called dips. So, <laughs> we got to dip because if you don't dip, your money going to dip. Well, hello. Hello. Let's be real now. Um, I could talk to you forever, but we've got lots of questions coming in. So. That's- um, so it'd be great to to go to some of those. I'm in conversation with Antoinette Tuff. We're talking about her becoming an accidental hostage negotiator uh, and the wonderful work that she's done since then. So uh, some of the questions in uh, this question here, your faith is so strong. Did you have this belief before this experience or has it or was it strengthened by what happened that day? Well, I always had my belief, but it wasn't strengthened until I actually my husband, my ex-husband left. You heard me say ex because he's an ex-man. Right. It wasn't then until he left that I realized that I did not have the faith that I thought I had. I was sitting on the pew, leading prayer and all that. But it wasn't until he left and I was suicidal multiple times that 
I wind up start building a relationship with God, being able to know that God is the head of my life and he validates me first and not man. Right. Uh, the legendary Tim Arthur asks, what happened straight after an event like that when you walked out of school? How did you go about the rest of your day? Well, the rest of my day was I wind up, um, Javita Moore from Channel 2 sent over a crew to be able to come and rescue me because the gunman had explosive in his car. And so they would not allow me to move my car. And then I couldn't go home because news channels was everywhere. And so Javita Moore from Channel 2 News here in Atlanta wound up sending over a crew to get me to be able to put me in a hotel to take me to a safe place. Oh, and, and ended up getting that exclusive interview as well. Yes. <laughs> it was very smart. It was very smart of her. It has very to be smart. smart. <laughs> uh, someone asked, have you met uh, Michael since the incident? No, I have not. But I'm um, excited to see how God is going to actually turn it out. I'm waiting on his um, actual cue for it. Um, we've actually um, talked about it. They wanted me to do it at the movie where Tony Braxton co- um, played me on my movie called um, Faith and the Fire on Lifetime. But I would not allow them to betray him that way. I want to make sure that God gets the glory out of it, not man. Mm. Um, here's another question. How did you respond to, because, to becoming suddenly famous? Well, really, to be honest with you, I, I, you don't really, you know, it, it didn't come a handbook with it to be famous. And I don't really look at it to be famous. I look at it as an assignment. And because when you do that, then you always keep God in the forefront. And so for me, I don't really look at it and say, oh, you're famous and you, you know, you've been here, you've done that. No, it's part of an assignment. And because of that, people look at your glory when they see you on all these national TVs. Mm. But what they don't realize is the story behind the glory. It took my 33 year marriage. It got my kids in the uproar. It got me held hostage with a gunman. And, the, you know, and the story goes on and on. And so a lot of people look at the fame and the glory, but they don't look at the story behind it. Mm, mm. Well, there, therein lies a word for sure. Um, someone's asking, how do you feel when you hear of other school shootings? And one happened just as you were about to meet President Obama, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, do you think America will ever be able to give up its gun- guns? Why is it such a thing about guns in America? And so when you look at that, you go back and ask yourself, how can I plug into support? And so when I see a gun shooting, whether it's in the school, whether it's in the building, no matter where it's at, I go back and look at it because it's overwhelming. I know that they can be tragedy or they can come out and survive everybody. But how many guns and shootings that you see that everybody comes out? I know for me, my incident, we've been the only school shooting that had no fatalities or injuries because I put God first. What I've done is I've actually gone back to the school district. I went back to support my teachers and my educators and my parents and my students. And so for me, I go back and plug in, you know, so it's like, where do you go? What do you do? So I'll say to you all, when you're looking at all of it and things are going on with guns, violence, we're going to have it no matter what. How do I, you got to ask yourself, how do you plug in? So I tell you to plug in. And and that's interesting because it's a full circle moment for you, you going back into that, uh, which leads on to a, a question from someone else, which asked, did you suffer any kind of PTSD afterwards? Because, you know, you're going back into the very thing that caused you all of this drama. I do suffer with PTSD and it did. This was my first time going back um, this school year since I was held hostage. Yeah. But one thing I did and I put in the forefront is that God has me on assignment and it's actually a step in the assignment. It's all about how you look at it. And so did I, was I afraid, fearful and all that? Yes. And then you put Corona on top of it. 
I got teachers getting it. I got students getting it. Coming in the building, you don't know if you're going to get it. All of it puts you in fear. But what I'm dis- I have determined in my life that I tell the devil, you can get one day, but you ain't going to get multiple days in a row. <laughs> you got one. And you ain't going to get multiple hours. I give you one day in a few hours, but you can't get two in three days. And so I put that in the forefront. So when I feel that anxiety, anxious and, you know, afraid and fearful and all that, I remind myself that he got yesterday. He can't get today. <laughs> mm, mm. How are your kids doing? Oh, they're doing great. My son is now a um, dad and all of that great stuff. A wonderful dad. And my daughter graduated law school and all that. So they are doing great. Matter of fact, so my son goes and he advocates for, you know, those that are disabled. He's now the vice president of his school. He's gone back to school and doing wonderful. And so he's on the ground helping homeless that I'm doing in my nonprofit. My daughter's out, you know, helping those that are voting and all of that. So they're at the Capitol today doing that. So I'm getting the opportunity to see my children take all that they've seen their mom do for so many years of their lives and they're fulfilling their purpose in life. That's extraordinary. Another question coming in. Did you ever meet the police of the, the 911 operator who went through the experience on the other end of the line? Yes. So one year after the actual incident, I did a big um anniversary for everybody. So I brought the um, 911 operator in. Um, you all seen the the second 911 operator, but there was a first one that they, you don't get to see the or hear the recording. So I brought both of the 911 operators in. I brought all of the law enforcement, so the um, local police, the um, FBI, fire, and all of those that responded. We gave everybody an invitation. We brought in the band from the local school and all that. So we had a great big old festival for the first year. That's amazing. Are you still recognized now? I mean, you obviously do such a broad breadth of, uh, breadth of work that I presumably those people who are directly connected would say, yes, we absolutely know. But, uh, you know, you're walking along the street. Do you see, does someone go, and go, that's Antoinette Tough? And what is that like for you? Well, it's funny because I was actually in the store the other day. And so this lady kept looking at me and she was like, she said, and I, and I was talking and I, and I recognized her looking at me. So I knew what she was saying. I said, how you doing? She said, oh, my God, it's you. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> she said, I know that voice anyway. That is you, Antoinette Tup. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it is me. <laughs> I said, I saw you looking. She said, I didn't want to say nothing because, you know, people be acting all strange with you. I said, baby, I ain't going to act strange with you. She said, well, can I get a photo? I said, yep, and let's get it from the right angle so when you get home, you don't get mad because you got it from the wrong one. And so we just sat there and had a wonderful time and chit-chat and talk. And she's like, oh, my God, I just thought you was going to be like some of the other celebrities that I've met here in Atlanta. And so I, and I said, no, I'm going to tell you why I don't do that is this. When I meet people, I don't care if I come to London and one day I'm going to come and I'm going to see all of you all. It doesn't bother me whether it's a stranger or not a stranger. One thing I learned on this process of my life is that one word out of my mouth can be, be life or death for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what you're going through in the moment. And I'm going to make sure at all times that I speak life. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you about meeting President Obama? The first time, I mean, you you know, you got that phone call. You didn't quite believe that it was him. You were just about to go on television and someone hands you a phone and says it's the president. You then get an opportunity. You're literally about to get on the plane when there's a big incident in Washington, which prevents you from meeting him. Eventually, you do meet him. What was that moment like for you? Oh, my God. Just so nice. I mean, just so nice. Um, so when we went to the White, I've met him a couple of times. 
But the White House, I went with my son because I wanted both of my kids to experience them. So my daughter experienced them with me when we went to one event. Then my son experienced them. And then the next time that I went, I wanted my kids to experience them at different times so they can really enjoy the moment. And that one person take it over the other moment, right? But it was so beautiful. It was like the first time I met him, he was just like opening and him and um, First Lady Michelle was like opening and how you doing and just, you know, down to earth. And then you think, okay, maybe they just did that the first time. Well, the second time I met him, he was just down to earth. I'm like, okay, he's just really that. And the third time I met him, he was just like down to earth. I was like, oh my goodness. He's just a nice person, no matter when you meet him and all that. So it was great just meeting both of them. Um, they actually stopped my um, book tour. When I did my book tour for my book called Prepared for a Purpose, they stopped my tour so that I could go to the State of the Union address, which was, oh my God, it was fabulous. I had never been in a barricade where they stopped all, you know, they stopped everything and the police and all the, you know, they barricade the streets and all that. And you ain't nobody on the streets but you. Oh my God, that thing was like, yes! <laughs> I I bet you were you were there with your best hat and your best yes. and your best dress. So you need to be able to do that. They need to be able to show up when necessary. Yes. Um, the, the principal who sent you to the front desk at the time. This is a question that's coming in. Uh, what did they say to you afterwards? Well, you know what? Um, I didn't see him till like years later, because the when the gunman actually came into the school, the principal wasn't in the school. He was actually somewhere else and we couldn't locate him. <laughs> uh, it was actually the assistant principal who at, and the um, actual counselor at the time who got the kids out of the school. So it wasn't until years later when I actually met him, was able to go back and um, help him and support him with my nonprofit Kids on the Move for Success. Mm. Well, it's a full circle story and I can't thank you enough, Antoinette, for joining us and, and, and telling us. And, and thank you for your good humour about it as well. I mean, you've lived through it. It must have been devastating and, you know, painful and stressful, but you have somehow plumbed into the joys of what it's about. And, and that's an extraordinary thing in itself. Um, just give us the socials because I'm sure lots of people want to follow you and find out more details about where they can see you just to give us a heads up in terms of your social medias. They can actually follow me at AntoinetteTuff.com. That's my website. It's AntoinetteTuff.com, my first and last name. And all of my social media platforms is at AntoinetteTuff. And then my nonprofit is at Kids on the Move for Success. So you can go and reach me at any of my um, platforms, LinkedIn and all that. All of them are at Antoinette Tuff and the websites are AntoinetteTuff.com and KidsOnTheMoveForSuccess.org. Well, Antoinette, once again, thank you so much. It's a, been a real, real delight and really inspirational to talk to you. Uh, I'm Jimoke Fashola. I've been talking to the wonderful Antoinette Tuff. Uh, this is the first in a series of a new audio partnership between Balance and Fora. The Amazing Lives podcast promises to bring you a whole host of conversations which will inspire, challenge and change you uh, and also tap into the kindness and compassion that we need. Thank you for joining us. It's been a delight. Happy International Women's Day. Yes. Happy International Women's Day, ladies. (laughs) 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 